Welcome to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your conductor, Anthony Smith. Today's episode, we will be talking with Pastor Penn, a.k.a. Jermaine Penton. We will be talking about the issues surrounding Wichita State basketball. Also, high school football update and recap on state playoff implications. So you'll want to grab your ticket, get on board, as this train has picked up a passenger today. And that show is starting next with your conductor, Anthony Smith, on the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Welcome into the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Today I have a very special guest, and we're going to dive into some things uh, now there's a local radio station, and unfortunately their their pastor guy he passed away. He was known as Pastor Mike. Would call in the KFH radio. Well, today I have on the A Train Sports Talk podcast. I'm just gonna call him Pastor Penn for short. Now the man can preach the word of God, but today we're talking sports on the A Train Sports Talk podcast. As I always tell y'all, I hope you got your tickets. Get on board because today the train is picking up a passenger, and the passenger today is none other than that of Jermaine Pennington, aptly called on the show Pastor Penn. Jermaine, welcome to the A Train Sports Talk Podcast. How you doing this morning? Man, I'm good. Glad to be here. Glad to have you here. And the one thing, like I said in my in introducing you, is that you are also an avid sports fan, and I guess it's safe to assume that you're also a avid Shockers fan. But first of all, before we go there, let's do this. Congratulations to those Northwest Grizzlies. I'm gonna talk about them later. But congratulations to the Northwest Grizzlies making that third straight trip back to the state playoff championship game. Hopefully the third time to Trump. So congratulations to Northwest High School and Coach Steve Martin, who's also been on my show and is a good friend of mine. So congratulations. But Jermaine, oh Jermaine, you also went to Northwest, so I'm pretty sure you kind of hope that they get the job done this time around. Because that program also has suffered some losses. Uh, one of their players of recent times passed away in a tragic death, but they also got a player playing at Iowa State in the name of Brees Hall, who's making a name for himself. So, but back to this situation with Wichita State, because you have been very passionate about what's been going on. You've been on my news feeds on Facebook and even when they had the mass exodus of players, and we, we've been keeping a tally on what's been going on. But now we come to the resignation of Greg Marshall. Was it a resignation or was it a forced resigna- resignation with a buyout, so to speak? I mean, $7.75 million, that's not like a partial buyout because if you look at the contract, the fact that it was a rolling contract, and I think he had like seven years, you're looking at – you know, if they don't show cause and they terminate the man, it said that he would have been paid upward like $23 million. So is this a situation where they may have made an offer and basically he said, no way in hell am I taking that. And the reason they kept saying that Greg Marshall was not with the team is because he was with this team of lawyers. And they came up with they came up with this deal, and Wichita State said, "All right, this is what we will do now. We just want this to be over. We want, we want to be able to have our assistant, co- well, our interim coach, 
concentrate on coaching without having this cloud hanging over because look at the timing of it. So go ahead, weigh in. Yeah, go, go ahead, weigh in with your comments. this question because Greg Marshall flat out denied any of the allegations. He denied punching Shaq Morris and I'm going to get to that too. Uh, we have yet to get a statement from Kyle Linstead who is the alleged coach that Greg Marshall put his hands around his throat and he still has yet to make a comment as a matter of fact his statement is no comment. He's at the University of Minnesota on the staff of, are you ready for this? Richard Patino. And well, we we know the uh, the bloodline. He's the son of Rick Patino. So you're kind of just wondering when something is going to happen, because they often say the apple don't fall too far from the tree. And we know what happened with Rick Patino at Louisville. So with Greg. Now, here, here's a statement from one. Uh, I don't know if you remember him. His name is Kalen Malone. He played under Marshall for a couple of years. And basically said, uh, it, the, this story went like this. is Kalen Malone played two seasons at Wichita State under Greg Marshall and Isaac Brown. He says, I think specifically guys on the 2017-18 team knew who Coach Marshall was, what we were dealing with, and what we signed up for, said the former Sharker guard. On November 17, 2020, Greg Marshall resigned as head coach of the Shockers men basketball team and the university elevated assistant head coach Isaac Brown as interim coach. He's a little bit more quiet, said Malone, but at the same time, I think his ability to listen and hear his players is one of the reasons he's going to be 
successful. Uh, as a matter of fact, it says Isaac Brown served as an assistant coach for 19 years in the Division One ranks. His resume includes coaching five programs, South Alabama 2002-07, Arkansas 2007-2010, Arkansas State 2010-2011, Louisiana Tech 2011-2014, and currently Wichita State. And he has a pretty good impressive resume. He says uh, Brown has helped lead those five programs to 11 20 win seasons, eight conference regular season titles, two conference tournament championships, 10 postseason appearances. Along the way, he's coached 58 all-conference selections and six NBA players. That's quite an impressive resume coming from an assistant standpoint, not to mention Wichita State is making history again because back in the day, if you remember Wichita State football, they were the first school to hire African-American to coach Division I NCAA football by the name of Willie Jeffries. Now, they're making history amongst themselves because this is the first time ever they've had a black head coach. But back to Marshall by flat out denying, do you think had he taken a different approach to the allegations if he would have said, look, this is what happened in practice? Because the player who's at name, name who, who surfaced all this, Shaq Morris, Shaquille Morris, and it was due to a hard foul on Zach Brown. Now, you think had he said, look, it was an intense moment in practice. Yes, I admit I kind of lost my cool because of the play. Because, you know, when you're in practice, you don't do those hard plays on your own teammates as you would someone on another team. So it was so it was a hard foul. And had he and had he worded it differently, if he would have said, look, yes, I mishandled it and I apologize and I want to, you know, make things right. You think had he had a different approach as as opposed to flat out denying it, we might be talking about maybe Greg Marshall serving a suspension as opposed to Greg Marshall resigning. One of the things that uh, we consistently see with scandal is that the cover-up is always usually actually worse than the actual says. Because what the cover-up says is that I'm committed to the uh, seat. I'm committed to behaviors that I know that are wrong. I don't plan on changes. And I just, I, you know, I won't, I won't assume them. And uh, in doing so, it's, it's a horrible representation of what it means to be a character development on a collegiate level. It, it sends the wrong message that we don't take responsibility for our faults, but just to be better, like ask him to be perfect. Um, I think that's an unreasonable stance. But we do ask the person to be forthcoming in the Right. So what position is Wichita State in moving forward? Because right now, th th let's just say it, they have a lot of lame duck positions. And when I say lame duck, I mean, yeah, Isaac Brown, interim coach, and I'm I'm fully behind him. I hope he gets the job done. As a matter of fact, I hope he gets the job done for the fact that he's one of the leading candidates for the job. Now, there's another name thrown out there, too, Adrian Griffin. We'll get to that some other time, some other show. But – uh, when I say lame duck, 
Isaac Brown interim coach. That means he's basically just temporarily unless he can earn that position. Sure. Darren Boatwright is the athletic director, may I say, for now. Why would I say for now? Because you're also dealing with schools that does not have a president right now. Right. And that was kind of sketchy how that played out because the president they had was on the job for nine months and he decided to step down. Plus, they're still dealing with the backlash of the Ivanka Trump situation, how that was handled. So what what is the total outlook of the university? But then how does this all play out? Because Eric Sexton at the time was, if you look at the time frame when this all happened, he was the athletic director and stepped down. So do you think he might have known something that said, you know what, I'm getting out of this situation. Darren, you can have this. I'm not saying that how it played out, but when you look at the time frame, it makes you wonder. I would hate to, I would hate to speculate, but you know, I will say it, it, it does appear just from the outside looking in. And we kind of got a program right now that's in a free for all. And uh, you know, our hope is that we certainly can get some leadership and our Because, see, I'm, I'm not saying Greg did it. I'm not saying Greg didn't do it. And, and the reason I'm taking that stance is because you, just like me, we weren't there. But now on Shaquille Morris's part, if this happened then, why wait until now to say something unless he's seen an opportunity that maybe now is the time to say something because trust me, ain't no coach in modern day history putting his hands on the player without something happening in return or something being mentioned about it right there on the spot. So why did it take so long for him to finally say something? Well, that's a question that's often asked in an abuse situation. Why did it take so long? Um, I think one, you have to put yourself in the place of the person that's on the other end of the abuse. Most times, dealing with individuals that that's an imbalance of power, and your whole life is, you know, kind of in the hand of this person. So I think, I mean, you just think now, who wants to be the person demonized Greg Marshall? This man is beloved in the city. Even now, there are, uh, you go on the Wichita Eagle uh, website about this. And you, uh, you take the position of saying 
position where you lack power, uh, you also do some things that, you know, may seem irrational. I mean, I heard some other players even say that during this season or during this period, that uh, one guy said he lost even his hope. He lost, he lost the joy of playing the game and life. But, you know, he wasn't be wanting to be outcoming uh, to uh, speak on this issue because someone who's written by the body community. Mm. Yeah, because uh, yeah, some players from Winthrop spoke up, and you know how long ago that has been. That has been, well, let me see, Greg Marshall took over this program, what, was it 2014, something like that? And you got players from Winthrop speaking up, talking about suffering from anxiety, depression, and I mean, it's like, it, it, it appears, like you said, using the word on the outside looking at, it appears that people seeing a situation, like, oh, what's going on with Greg Wichita State? Oh, okay, well, I remember this happened to me. Let's just add, you know, add more fuel to this fire. Let's just stoke these flames, so to speak. So it looked like it's a situation where people seen a fire, and they said, well, let's just stoke the flames and add a little bit more fuel to it. And, you know, as big as he is in the coaching ranks, all it takes is this much, and we can bring this empire down. So there, there are so many angles how we can look at this. Marshall isn't for everybody. 
He says, you may come in with credentials, but you better be ready to be broken. And one of the things that happened was they was having a scrimmage, and Fred just flat out said, look, I do not want Shaq on my team. Then there was another situation. They're going to go on the road and play Drake. And to this day, Shaquille Morris is the only player I know, and I've followed Wichita State basketball for quite some time, unless it was for personal reasons. He was, he was the only player I know that was told to stay home and figure out what it is he wanted to do if he wanted to really play basketball. How do you get told to stay home playing against one of the bottom feeders in the Missouri Valley Conference? this question. Do you think Greg has a style that's kind of reminiscent of some of the coaches of old and that that style of coaching is probably not the accepted norm today? And then you throw in the fact that a lot of these kids, they come in to these programs now. They, they, they have come from playing in all-star games, playing on circuits. Because most of these players, when they get noticed, it's not because they're playing at their high school. It's because they're playing at these AAU camps, these Adidas camps, these Boost Mobile camps, maybe Metro. I mean, you, you get the picture. They're playing at camps and games where they can get exposed. Do you think the fact that these kids are being handed all of this, let me just say it, entitlement that they go in to these universities thinking that they are entitled to some of this stuff, and especially in Wichita State situation because, remember, those players that were sophomores last year were also freshmen on a team that only had two seniors. And even Marcus McDuffie said when he came in, he was looking to, you know, really shine, but they had senior leadership. And when you have a team full of juniors and seniors, they have a way of, you know, basically keeping you in your place, so to speak. It's kind of an unwritten rule. And by that team transitioning from freshman to sophomore, with the exception of maybe a JUCO player or two, you have a bunch of puppies trying to establish who's going to be the top dog. Do you think that played a role in some of what went on at Wichita State, too, along with some of the Greg Marshall situation? That's certainly can. I mean, you know, we are talking about kids that generally when they enter into, like, 
for them is that they would, you know, go to a program and experience that same level of So that may not happen. But I still think to focus on that takes us away from the larger issue. And uh, I think that's a conversation that is really just too uncomfortable for most of us because not only uh, in a conversation that says, uh, we allow abusers to prevail, we reward them as long as they win, but we also reward them to some degree and find a way to defend their actions and say, oh, well, we need this kind of thank you. Um, but, but I think that's really, it's really unfortunate in what it does to not only this program specifically, but what it does for us as a larger culture, because it says that really is the most important thing. And as long as we win, we're overlooking stuff. Now, here again, I'll ask you that. Let's, let's, let's put this conversation or this question in reverse. Would we accept, would we accept any of these allegations that Coach Marshall had uh, the record of a Thompson or a Cohen? Would we have accept any of this? So we're sending a message that as long as you win, you can pretty much do whatever. And that makes a lot of sense. And like I said, you know, I, I mentioned the name Darren Boatwright. I hate to be in his position because he's pretty much the one that's had to handle these situations. Uh, like I told you off the record, and I'm telling you on the record last week, I had the chance to have a very nice young lady on my program, Jody Adams, who was in my to record, I believe the most successful women's Wichita State basketball coach, winning three straight Missouri Valley Conference tournaments, and also getting into three straight NCAA tournaments. But there were some complaints saying that it wasn't egregious allegations to the Greg Marshall effect, but she was labeled as being too harsh and too strict. Too harsh and too strict. If she had a final four to her name, I, I think the conversation would have been a little different. I'll say this. She came from good stock. Right. She played at the University of Tennessee under who? Pat Summit. Oh, yeah. Who is Pat Summit? One of the most revered names in all of college basketball, men and women. But sitting down, but talking with her last week, I learned even more about her. And the one thing I learned about her is she's a life giver and she has a whole lot to offer life. But, you know, honing it back in, I hate to be the one that's in Darren Boatwright's position because he's the one that's had to handle these situations. Right. And you wonder what is it going to look like once the school gets him a permanent school president is his job still secure? Because who knows, the school president might want to say, let's clean house, let's start all over. You would hope. Well, actually, do you feel like he's handled any of this well? I think due to the nature and the timing of this situation, and you're looking at the season, like literally around the corner, right. 
at the time, it was the best thing to do. Now, maybe years later, after we find out more, because we're not going to find out everything right now, but after we find out more, we may say, well, then, why would y'all give this man that much money? Well, think of it this way. If you have a, if you terminate the man and he decides to file a lawsuit, you got this thing hanging over your head while there's a basketball season being played, which is taken away from what's actually going on in the court. You're taking away the attention from the guy you have, to have as an interim coach. So they did the best thing for the moment because you want to be able to concentrate on the season at hand, give this coach a fair chance. Now, like I said, years later, maybe three, four years down the road, we may find out some more, and then more questions will be asked. Right now, I think everybody just wants to move on. And I think that's a logical thing. situation and uh, I certainly agree with that uh, even on to the fan base because we're at a moment where I don't necessarily uh, disparage uh, how they handled the situation in terms of forcing a resignation but I feel like this ideal of not disclosing the report and not giving us any kind of details of what the findings were, it leaves too much room for speculation. And I don't think they curved the broader community uh, well by doing that. You know, and so we have all of this ambiguity, we got unanswered questions, and we have a program that is refusing mm-hmm. to reveal the findings. Hey, look I here. Mean, people spend hard money to send their students to be schooled. And you don't give us any kind of report on what you thought. I think that's uh, Let's pause right there. Let's pause right there. And welcome back into my podcast and we're talking with Pastor Penn and we're talking right now pretty much all things Wichita State and the situation surrounding the resignation of Greg Marshall uh, come back coming up out of this break and Pastor Penn is very passionate and I, I have to say this I didn't have to tell him not to say any four little words like like door and like door and back and the family history of Jack. <laughs> but yeah, as you were saying before we had to take that pause there, we ran up against a, a hard time out as they call it in radio. Uh you were talking about the public records and I, my theory is I don't think they they I think they might want to disclose that, but right now it's not the time to disclose that. But yeah, those records, especially since it's a public university, those and a lot of people spend money, they have the right to know. So go ahead and expound on that. Uh, 
stated that our loyalness, we love the school, we, we, we love this community, and we just think it's really unfortunate to be served in this way uh, by this university that they owe the fan base much more than what they're actually getting. Uh, you expect people to call the pen, support, give them money, and this is the position you put people in. It needs a real bad taste to the point where my wife, who is a diehard doctor, she can't get that support the pain. If, if this is going to be a culture that is just allowed to prevail without any kind of uh, summary of what was found. And I think that's sad. Mm-hmm. So, why is it that you think some of his star players haven't really spoken up on the issue? And I'm talking about his big three, which would be Fred Van Vliet, besides the comments that you gave me that you heard him say. But, you know, with this situation going on at hand, why do you think they haven't spoken up, which would be Fred Van Vliet, Ron Baker, and Landry Shamit. Of course, Landry Shamit's had to deal with his own issues because he just recently got traded to the Brooklyn Nets now. So he's been going from the Sixers to the Clippers, now to the Nets. I mean, 
shake his hand because that's what that's what the tradition is but you know let's make this quick get and get him on our mouth but yeah i mean that that exchange between him and marshall was nothing nice but but can you imagine though a team with austin reeves and eric stevens Coaching styles, 
from yesteryear to how coaching staff should be today. I mean, you have to give it up for Coach K at Duke because he's been around. He's done seen a lot, and I'm pretty sure he's had to adjust some. Roy Williams last year had the worst season ever in North Carolina history, I do believe. And we've seen him look like he's about to have a heart attack. Uh, but Roy Williams basically replaced, uh, I forget who it was. It wasn't Brad Doherty. It was somebody else. But the reason that he, he replaced that particular coach because players was leaving the school because of he was too demanding and too this. And so what, what, are, are we done with the – well, I know we're done with the Bobby Knight style of coaching, but are we done with the John Thompsons, the John Chaneys? Uh, are we done with those styles of coaching? I mean – share a couple of things with you here. Uh, for, I was fortunate and honored to have Mike Kennedy on. That would be the voice of the Shockers on, on the radio. And he gave this nugget right here. He said, I'm going to quote the great, the late Bo Schembechler. He said, you may lose a recruit and he may beat you once or twice. 
She said, but if you recruit the wrong person into your program and they don't fit your culture, they can beat you every day in life. Man, that's true. I agree with that. That that right there, I was like, wow. But move, move, moving forward, how do you think the outlook of this team is going to look this year? I mean, I believe we've done hit over hit Greg Marshall situation over the head. We done hit Claire situation over the head. So now we done got that out the way. We got basically about 15 and a half minutes left on this segment. Yes, you, 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 get, you get all the time you want. I want to look at the makeup of this team this year moving forward with Coach Isaac Brown, with the credentials that I read to you. How do you think this team is going to fare? Because the, even before this happened, they had them predicted to take seventh place in the American Athletic Conference. I'm going to start off by saying I disagree with that. What do you think? This team, they still have all the raw ingredients. Uh, nothing really fundamentally has changed in terms of the talent pool that they had, uh, unless we have to see some kind of math issue as well. But they, all the talent is in place. Uh, they have to get over the hurdle of this whole uh, stigma that's on the program right now. They, they, so they can find a way to get focused. Um, you know, I don't know Ryan's reputation as a motivator, but if he can motivate this team to get focused uh, to help them play with that level of tip that you got something to prove because everybody's betting against you. You know, we really had that underdog there. Maintain that as part of the culture. I expect to see something, you know, incredible from this team. I mean, uh, I, I really have been impressed with the guy that they brought in. You talking about the transfer from UConn, Alterique Gilbert? Yeah. Yes, I've been hearing a lot about him, and basically, he is the real deal. I see player, man. You know, an incredible guard. Yeah, I, I look for them to have an upper division finish in the conference, like a, at least a top four. So, and, but but and the good thing is by them being predicted seventh, that means they could basically fly under the radar. Just quietly go about winning games. The season starts for them next week, Utah State. So let's just, you know what? I really don't even want to really do this because I want to give Isaac Brown the full benefit of the doubt. I want to give him the whole season without wondering who the next coach could possibly be. But since the media has put it out there, I mean, the first name I done already ruled out, I told a guy on my face, on his, on another Facebook page, I told him, you can rule out the name Thad Mata. The reason he stepped down from Ohio State was because of health-related issues. He's having back and feet issues. So, no, that, as, as successful as a coach as he was at every stop he was at, the health issues and the age, that would not be a good fit. John Beeline, who coached at Michigan, if he's interested in coaching, maybe. Uh, ben, ben, but he's up there in age. 
So now you look at a Ben Jacobson, Northern Iowa, but now you wonder how much of an influence, let's just say it, a Greg Marshall and or a Mark Few has had on coaches like a Ben Jacobson. I mean, Marshall had offers to go to places, and he said, well, I'm happy where I'm at. He said, and why would I want to mess with happy? He said, why would I want to go someplace where I may win for three or four years and have a losing season and yeah. might not have a job the next year? Chambers not walking back. Landry Chambers not coming. 
but the team that we have and all the components, you know, are we going to see a 10-man rotation like Greg Marshall had? Don't know that for sure. But I tell you what, whatever the rotation is, I don't think this team would miss a beat. But you're looking at possibly your starters looking at you're looking at probably Altree Gilbert, Dexter Dennis. I'm even hearing the name Travis Etienne. So you're looking at a three-guard lineup. They might be playing small ball. Uh, I think Mo Udesi and Trey Wade. And How much of what? The previous style do you expect to see in the next season? I mean, do you expect to, would you be surprised if the team uh, plays like a Marshall team? I believe the team will still have that play angry monitor. I mean, if you look at Dexter Dennis and his demeanor, he always looks like he's in a ready to kick somebody's tail move once he gets on that court, okay? But this team is also athletic, but the, like the players that they brought in, the key thing that they said was they enjoy playing defense. So with that being said, this team this team very athletic and probably quick, most likely a quick team. They're probably going to be after you pressing not out of necessity, but because they can and because the fact that defense creates turnovers and turnovers create easy baskets, I believe this team is going to get up and down that court this year. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's got an athletic team. It's been brought in from North Carolina. Uh, what? Investigation on some of those guys. So, yeah, we're definitely looking forward to this year's edition of this team, you know. And like I said, they're going to turn some heads. Uh, now, we don't know how this whole season is going to play out with this pandemic going on and everything and the instability. Oh, Right. That's the one thing in our favor. It's definitely the best year. Yeah, this kind of transition and Right. Well, hey, Doc, look here, man. I want to say thank you for joining me on my show today. Uh, we're going to do this again soon and very soon before we go yeah, see the man. king. Yes. Yes, most definitely. Because I'm all about trying to get guests on this. And this is actually my 86th episode. So I'm coming up I'm coming up on my 100th episode and I'm I'm trying to plan something big. I, I want to get some guests on. And that I might have to make that like a, a three-hour show. Because <laughs> I know each guest is going to be at least allotted 30 minutes. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at getting some guests on for my 100th episode. And I'm also looking for some sponsorship as well, too. And good thing about the sponsorship of this, it's not like radio advertisement. The, the most you'll be paying is $9.99 a month to sponsor this podcast. So keep that in mind. 
But yeah, once again, y'all, I want to thank my special guest for being on the A Train Sports Talk podcast, my passenger for the day, the Honorable Pastor Penn, a.k.a. Jermaine Pennington, the only person I know who would get in trouble for imitating preachers in church. Well, I could do imitations and I would get a good... <laughs> all right, Doc, we, we will get you back on again soon, all right? All right, hold the line. I will get get wet, Richard. Welcome back to the A Train Sports Talk podcast, and I'm going to wrap it up with the high school football recap, along with some highlights. And what we're going to do is we're going to turn this over to the Catch It Kansas edition for some highlights. So let's take it away with the highlights. Bob Rock, Big Game Braxton Jones with you tonight. We've nearly made it through the fall. Substate weekend here for high school football. And for the first time this season, all games will be played as scheduled. Good thing. Trips to state line. Let's start in 5A, Braxton. The game we lost to start the year. Bishop Carroll and Northwest, one of our favorites every year. These two schools set to open the year as they generally do. COVID changed that, of course. But now... The biggest game for each is the game right now, Northwest, after a third straight title game appearance. But Bishop Carroll is standing in their way. Last time Carroll won was when they won it all in 2017. Let's get this one rolling first. Uh, got some action up, uh, up the middle there for a touchdown there. Uh, Bishop Carroll's getting this one going a little early, but they would get out to a 14-0 lead. The Northwest is nowhere near out of this. And you're never out of it when you got the juice. You see Julius Bolden gets into the end zone right there to put on the points for the Grizzlies. And watch this. A punt. We're going to seven more plays. There's a tip pretty good, there. Pretty good field up. position. Now watch Jeremiah Moore. He's one of the fastest guys in the city league. Probably in the whole state. He gets in right there. And again, Northwest puts on the gas in the second half. This one was tied 21 on the break. There's that juice. The juice is loose. Juice man, juice man. Yeah, that's you. He gets into the end zone right there. Northwest goes on to roll in this one. They are headed back to state. They get the big win, 41 to 21. For more on this game, we bring in Ellen Turner. She watched it all go down. We didn't get the highly anticipated Bishop Carroll Northwest matchup in week one this season due to COVID-19. Instead, we had to wait until the 5A state semifinal game tonight, and it was well worth the wait. After Bishop Carroll took an early 14-0 lead, the Grizzlies didn't bat an eye, scored 20 unanswered points to win this one 41-21 and move on to its third straight 5A state title game. We're not done yet. Um, you know, we're, we're sick of being the bridesmaid, but to get there, um, with every roller coaster that we face this year and getting to play, um, you know, it'll hit me tonight later on when everybody's not around. Um, I'm just proud of our seniors. It feels really good. You know, all of our hard work's been paying off. Everything that we've overcame this season's paying off. Everything. It's just it's a really good feeling going in there, and we're going in confidently. It feels great just being able to get back there. We got some unfinished business from last year. We didn't get the job done, but we're going to get it done this year. With the loss, Bishop Carroll ends its season at 8-3. and three. From Northwest, Ellen Terhune, Eyewitness Sports. 
Once again, congratulations to Northwest High School and Coach Steve Martin, who's been on my show a few times, and he's a very classy guy, very classy guy. Enjoy him coming on. So what we're going to do now is we're going to give you the scoreboard and let you see how things played out in high school football playoffs across the state of Kansas. You just heard those highlights. Let's start you with 6A because this is now setting the stage. Blue Valley North knocks off Olathe North 30-20. Derby, Manhandles Junction City 62-27. So for the 6A title game, it will pit Derby against Blue Valley North. In the 5A bracket, Mill Valley knocks off St. Thomas Aquinas, 42-7. While Northwest, as you heard from the highlights, beat their west side rival, Bishop Carroll, 41-21. Setting up their third straight trip to the finals and a return game against Mill Valley. A game that went into overtime, Bishop Miage knocks off St. Jen- no, St. James knocks off Bishop Miage by a score of 36 to 35. They will be taking on Arc City, who knocked off McPherson 28 to 27 for the class 4A. On to class 3A. Perry LeCompton knocks off Holton 22 to 9. And they will be taking on Andale, who blanked Collegiate 49-0. And that will be for the 3A state title. On the 2A, Rossville knocks off Nemaha Central 31-19. And they will be squaring off against Hoisington, who knocked off blanked Beloit 26-0. So that will be for the 2A state champion, Rossville versus Hoisington. On to 1A, Opie squeaks by Linden by a score of 14-12. They will be going up against Oakley, who knocked off Inman by a score of 9-0. And that will be for the 1A state title. Now we move on to 8-man Division 1. Little River rolls past Madison 38-8. And they will be taking on Wichita County, who knocked out Hoaxie 58-6. So this will be for the eight-man Division One title, Wichita County against Little River. Eight-man Division Two. Hanover didn't have no problem with Frankfurt demolishing them 74-26. And they will be taking on St. Francis, who knocked off Victoria 44-22. And that will be for the eight-man Division II title will be Hanover against St. Francis. There's your high school recap update. And good luck to each of the teams that have advanced. 
they will be they will be playing for their state championships. I believe that will be next week, Saturday after Thanksgiving. And we hope all is safe. And that will pretty much do it for today's episode of A Train Sports Talk Podcast. Uh, well, I take that back. That is not going to do it. Because what I want to do is also take a look. Because today is also Saturday, and we're going to take a look at some college football. As a matter of fact, the game that is taking place right now, the big game of the day, at the end of one quarter, Ohio State is already leading Indiana by a score of 7-0. to zero. Uh, Some other games that are in progress. Game that can be seen on ESPN is App State, Appalachian State against Coastal Carolina, number 15th ranked Coastal Carolina. That game, with 10 minutes and 50 seconds to go in the second quarter, uh, Coastal Carolina is leading 9 to 7. In the second quarter, right now we say upset alert is what we'll be saying right about now. Number six, Florida has the ball right now in a game that can be seen on ABC with 11 minutes and six seconds to go in the second quarter. Vanderbilt actually has a 10 to 7 lead over the number six ranked Florida Gators. How huge of an upset would that be? How mighty would they fall in the rankings? Opening the door for a Cincinnati team. A game I already told you about, they are in the second quarter. Uh, Ohio State has the ball third and 28. They're leading Indiana 7-0. Game coming up at noontime. Number eight, BYU. We'll be taking on not sure who that is. I'll just say it like this. BYU has a game coming up today at noon. Also, number seventh ranked team, the Cincinnati Bearcats, will be taking on University of Central Florida. At 12.30 on ABC, you have number 10, Wisconsin, going up against number 19, Northwestern. Also coming up, you have number 11, Oregon, hosting UCLA. A game in the Big 12 pits, K-State University, Kansas State University against number 17th ranked Iowa State University. Number one, Alabama takes on Kentucky. Also, number 23, Auburn hosts Tennessee. And number 21, Liberty, trying to stay undefeated. Can they do it? Take on an ACC for North Carolina State. Can they remain undefeated after today's game? 
I'm crossing my fingers. I'm going for the underdog. And today, back in the Big 12, it's the Bedlam Series. Number 14, Oklahoma State against number 18, Oklahoma University. Mississippi State travels to take on the Georgia Bulldogs, ranked number 13. Number 20, USC, a team that I don't have much confidence in, takes on Utah. USC comes in number 20 this week. So those are your slate of games within the top 25. What we do have, though, is some news. Number four, Clemson at Florida State game is postponed. Game is postponed. And let's give you this as we find out why the postponement. The Clemson-Florida State game that was scheduled for noon has been postponed. They'll try to replay it in December. The word from the ACC is that the two medical staffs couldn't agree on whether to proceed with the game. Now, there's defined protocol in the ACC about whether a game is going to be played relative to COVID, but that's the statement they issued. We're working on getting more information, but what you need to know right now is that the Tigers, who are trying to come back, and Trevor Lawrence, who is coming back, a big part of this college football Saturday, put on hold. They'll try to play it in December. This is Clemson Athletic Director Dan Radakovich, who tweeted this just a little while ago. We're disappointed we will not be able to play against Florida State. Clemson has followed all of the ACC's protocol in preparation for this game. We look ahead to returning to action next week against Pitt for Senior Day and Military Appreciation Day. Now, you know, I don't want to start something that's not there, but I think you can read between the lines and understand from the statement that there was a disagreement that Clemson uh, felt it could play. Apparently, that's the way it seems anyway. And Florida State did. So there you have that. So Florida State and Clemson will not play Saturday after teams. Medical personnel could not mutually agree on moving forward with the game. The ACC said in a statement, the teams were supposed to play at noon in Tallahassee, Florida. Multiple sources told ESPN that a Clemson player tested positive for COVID-19 on Friday after practicing with the Tigers during the week. That led Florida State to say it was not comfortable playing Saturday's game, the source said. We are disappointed that we will not be able to play today's game against Florida State, tweeted Clemson AD Dan Radokovich. Clemson has followed all the ACC's protocols in preparation for this game. We look ahead to returning to action next week against Pitt for Senior Day and Military Appreciation Day. That was a tweet. In a statement, the league said both teams continue to adhere to the minimum outline protocols within the ACC Medical Advisory Group report. Our first priority is the health of our student-athletes, and I appreciate There we go. And I appreciate the protocols that have been put in place by FSU and the ACC to ensure everyone's health while allowing us to play this season. 
Florida State coach Mike Norvell said in a statement. It's unfortunate that we will not have the opportunity to compete today, but we hope to be able to play Clemson in December. I'm thankful for the support and coordination between our administration, Clemson, and the ACC office. Our team will now return our focus to hosting Virginia next week. ACC protocol states, teams must be tested the day before competition, so both Florida State and Clemson got tested Friday per conference rules. Those tests are done by an independent third party and results are received either the same day or early the following day. Once those tests are received, both schools get on a call with the ACC to sign off on whether they feel comfortable proceeding with the game. This is standard before any ACC game can be played. Multiple sources said Clemson was tested before leaving for Tallahassee and did not get the positive test back until late Friday night, meaning the team had traveled to Tallahassee with the positive player. That player, an offensive lineman, was immediately isolated and Clemson arranged for him to travel back to Clemson separately. Clemson then informed Florida State of the positive test. On Saturday morning, both schools got on the call with an ACC representative to sign off on whether they felt comfortable proceeding with the game. This is standard before any ACC game can be played. The multiple sources said Clemson felt comfortable they had followed all safety protocols and wanted to move ahead and play the game. In addition to following as many distance rules as possible, during practice and meetings, Clemson traveled to Florida State wearing N95 face masks and face shields. Clemson also pointed out there is no evidence of coronavirus spread or transmission during the games. In addition, one source said Clemson offered to get rapid testing on Saturday and move the game to Saturday night. But Florida State did not accept. Multiple sources indicated that Florida State's medical advisors felt there was risk involved in playing the game because the positive player traveled with the team and raised concerns about possible Clemson team spread. Florida State wanted to side with caution and could not sign off on plan. Because of the difference in the medical opinion, the Florida State, Florida State 2-6, number 4, Clemson 71, cannot agree to move forward with the game. The league does not play a role in the decision-making process because it wants that choice to be made by both schools. Clemson players made the trip to Tallahassee fully intent on playing the game, but found out over breakfast that they would not be able to play. There is no indication yet whether the game will be rescheduled for December, and that might be determined on whether Clemson needs to play in order to get into the ACC championship game. The ACC also announced a number of schedule changes on Saturday. Louisville at Boston College game that was moved to December 12th will now be played November 28th, and Wake Forest at Louisville has been moved to December 19th. The Wake Forest at Duke game will not be rescheduled. Wake Forest is now, has now been approved to play a non-conference game November 28th. So there you have that breaking news right there. So if you're looking for Clemson and Florida State, that game has been postponed until a day in December. So that will do it for the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Hope you enjoyed my guest, Jermaine Pennington, today known as Pastor Penn. So hopefully we will have that spot reserved for him in the future. 
where he would be a regular fixture on this show, providing his insight. And once again, thank you for being on today's show. You've been listening to another edition of the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Enjoy the weekend.